We'd like to welcome everyone back to the Nova Society, and today we continue our conversation with Dr. Priscilla Hobbs, a cultural mythologist and expert on all things Disney. And we pick up with the last question I asked on our last episode as to her thoughts on the direction of Disney going forward, what the culture might be. And I asked about uh, what she would say to Bob Iger uh, if she had an opportunity as far as advice for what Disney should be in the future. So let's listen in. Do you think that this is going to impact the, I don't want to say philosophy or the ideology of Disney, but uh, the the foundation of what Disney is built upon? Do you, do you think that, do you think this is a, 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 a an entire mythos changing event? I would be surprised if there's not some paradigm shift as a result of this. Um, but I think I, I kind of keep kind of coming back to this like little point. This is a small piece of the bigger narrative. Like how this feud plays out is I think a direct reflection on the, the trajectory of our country over the next few years. So from the perspective of Disney as a corporation, they've made their stance fairly clear. They don't intend to back down. They intend to reinforce like who they are as a corporate brand and recognizing in that process, this is who we cater to. Like I see a lot more doubling down in like the Disney persona. You know, so you think about right now is the Disney 100, right? They are marketed Disney 100 at like nobody's business. The museum exhibit up in Philadelphia, it has like every little piece of Disney. There's like the Disney 100 like platinum version of the of the product in the parks. You know, they've themed like their fireworks shows and parades around the one, you know, like 100 or one, like the one man who started it all kind of kind of perspective. So they, they've doubled down on the Disney 100. Incredibly fascinatingly, this same year is the 100th anniversary of Warner Brothers. On the flip side, while Warner Brothers is like, we're 100 years old, they're not like ramping up the fact that Warner Brothers was built on the back of Bugs Bunny. They're not celebrating those their animated their animation history that really may solidify the studios. Like they have kind of left their animation persona and, and focused more on the movies and where they've had some really huge successes from Jurassic Park and Harry Potter and like Friends and like you know this like hey this is how you know us today. But they've they haven't doubled down on who who they are in that long narrative. Like I would almost be willing to bet that except for the film geeks out there, there are people who don't even realize that Warner Brothers literally was a, a studio built by brothers. Right. <laughs> it's a yeah. family industry. Like I, I, I would be willing to bet a lot of that gets lost in the new generation. So to see Disney doubling down and also just to see the response from the people who are heavy Disney consumers also doubling down, I think really reinforces kind of where I think we're going to see a lot of the tensions over the next few years. So not just beyond Disney, but just to other taking other stances, thinking about more recent years, things like cancel culture and the Me Too movement, where it became vocalized in our cultural narrative that certain behaviors are not okay. <laughs> it's like, 
if you're going to go and bit around rhetoric, there needs to be consequences. If you're going to go around and mistreat people, there need to be consequences, which is a very interesting like counter narrative thinking about the recent civil lawsuit against he who shall not be named. Right. Yes. He <laughs> who he shall not be named. He who shall not be named. And then there's like still continued support. Like the Republican Party cannot continue without at least embracing what he who shall not be named is bringing to the party. So they're like taking this. Well, let's double down on this this narrative that is. I mean, let's call it what it is. It's fascist. Yes. And it's it, it has a very real potential of dismantling the infrastructure of this country like fascism does if the fascist narrative can break disney which i don't think it will but let's just assume let's just talk through like the possibility that it could if it if it breaks disney it breaks the entire fabric of democracy in our country like there will be no america to make great again if if they can break disney right right and and I would agree. I, I don't think the corporate structure of Disney is going to change very much. I guess my my original question was, yeah, you have a daughter, I have grandchildren. Will they will the Disney that they see, will that evolve to something different than what we saw? And I, I think the answer to that's yes. I, I think that they're going to Disney to me was always uh the fables. It was it was like fables. Uh, they they told a story. They told a story from a perspective, and they told you know there was a moral to the story and 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 all this. But they were never an agent for moral change. That was never their function. They they were that that wasn't what they were. Do you think that that this transition, this evolution that your daughter, my grandchildren are going to see, may see Disney become an agent for moral and social change? I absolutely think so. And I think because they have a great platform, they have a great platform. And so, you know, thinking through like Disney's history, they created Mickey Mouse and Mickey Mouse was in many ways Walt Disney's persona and his philosophy, like Mickey Mouse in so many ways was an animated version of Walt Disney. So when they created Donald, for example, they knew that there's some behaviors that Mickey cannot do that the culture just needs somebody to express. And so they gave that permission to Donald. And so Donald Duck was the one who got drafted into the military. So who's Donald Duck, who's Donald Duck uh, fashioned after? Anybody specific? He's fashioned after the voice that gave him. Like there was this, this voice actor, um, Clarence Ducky Nash, who was just, Walt heard on the radio was like, that's a duck. <laughs> so we made Donald Duck. But then the animators infused them. So when they were making the the wartime shorts, they brought in their own like draft experiences and Donald, Donald got drafted. Donald became the character of um, propaganda and uh, cartoons. And then when we get after the war, Goofy becomes the only one who's a parent. And not just that, he eventually becomes the single parent. So there are cartoons where he had there was reference to a wife, but he was the dad. Now it's just him and Max. So so I think they already started to kind of go in that direction. What I think is going to happen as our children and grandchildren start getting older is you're going to have more people entering into animation and imagineering and film production who themselves are socially aware. 
So I think you can see this, especially within um, the Star Wars, like the post-Disney acquisition of Star Wars. The new generation of people who are creating Star Wars are the same ones who grew up. The original Star Wars fell in love with it, but now are bringing their new frame and social consciousness into the story. So you have, for instance, The Mandalorian, where there is active like counter action against the remnants of the Empire. Or the more recent season around the Mandalorians as a culture, like needing to reunify and get back on the same page. So I think right now Disney is giving itself permission to play in its other products. Um, But I think what's eventually going to happen is that those are going to get pulled into their more mainstream branding. So going, you mentioned the Little Mermaid at the top of the call, and one of the things they've been doing lately is remaking a number of their films as live action. And within process, just by adapting from an animation to a live action, there are necessary changes that have to happen. Like it just, you can't just take a cartoon and put it on the screen. doesn't work that way. And so some of those little nuances where they're making changes to the story, they are subtle if you're not looking for them, but they have significant impact if you are receptive to them. And so I think that what we make, might see before too long is Disney starting to just really double down and get more apparent with right. what it is they're doing. Because you're right. They it was also- always under the surface. Earlier we were saying Disney was always very milk toast. But they, I mean, there were certain things that they did promote, but they did it just sort of subliminally, just yeah. kind of underneath the surface. Mm-hmm. And you're right. I think that a lot of Disney, and we're not talking about Disney as a corporation. Okay. We're talking about Disney as a culture, because now we're talking about a group coming in, the new generation of those illustrators and the people with CGI and those, those Imagineers that are coming in, they come in with their own social ideology. And it is almost impossible for them not to incorporate that into the creations that they make. And the only decision corporate that Disney has to make is, are we going to embrace this? Are we, are we going to make this happen? And I think that's really the only, uh, the only question corporate wise. And of course, influencer on Disney is, are we going to make money off of this? I mean, they're a corporation. They want to make money. Are we going to make money off of this? And I think that by opening this up to a larger audience, and let's let's be very clear, the audience that supports DeSantis is a very small audience. But they're the loud. They're loud. The the squeaky wheel gets the grease, as my grandfather used to say. Uh, (laughs) I mean, they're they're the loudest. It's like the evangelical right. They're the loudest. Those down the middle moderates and uh, right of center and left of center people of political view are generally fairly quiet. They don't, they don't get overly enthusiastic about much of anything. And again, I think Disney is looking and saying, all right, who's the bigger demographic here that we have to reach? In my mind, that's the only corporate decision that needs to be made by Disney. They have to let it progress the way it was, the way it will, and the way it's going to just let it evolve Mm -hmm. as it's going to evolve. But I see Disney as being 
in many ways, uh, just like the old philosophers of the ancient world, where they created the, the myths and that that guided social responsibility, that guided how interactions happened, all of those things that, that basically guided people. Let, let's take, and I, I hate to, the Bible. It, it's, a great, it's a great source of telling you how to live your life in many ways. The New Testament more more than the Old Testament. The Old Testament was kind of a little rough, but the New Testament basically is here. Are your Ten Commandments. Live this way. And I think that Disney. Well, the Ten has, Commandments were arguably Old Testament. Arguably, yes. Arguably so, Old Testament. New Testament but, gave us the Beatitudes. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was. It was like, and, and in many ways, Disney is in the, is in that area where the Old Testament. If you if you read it, I mean, God was pretty tough. Where when you get to the New Testament, there's a there's a bit of a change there. This is probably Disney's opportunity to go from their Old Testament, where they were kind of subliminally telling you things, to a New Testament where they're basically saying, Hey, we are an influencer, and they are an influencer. They are oh, yes. a massive influencer. We are going to use that influence for social good. Mm-hmm. So if so if Dr. Priscilla Hobbs was to have an opportunity to sit down with the CEO of Disney, the new one, which I think really was a also a, a, a hit to DeSantis, because this guy is yeah, yeah, that yeah, he he yeah. ain't playing. They brought, what would you, they brought what would back you, the old <laughs> they brought back the old yeah, they brought back old school. What would be your comment to him as to what you as a neo-mythologist that understands mythology from the past and present? And what would you say, looking at Disney from that standpoint, what would your advice be to how Disney can become that driver of positive social change? And I'll tell you, there is no more time than today in the United States that we need more positive social change. And Disney has that bully pulpit. So what would what would you say to, to what is it, Iger now? No, who is it? Yeah, Iger. Iger, Bob yeah. Iger. What, what yeah. would you say to old Bob? Hey, Bob, if you had 15 minutes to sit down with old Bob and say, Bob, <laughs> here you go. This is, this is what you can transform society. And this is how I think you can. Oh, there's just so many things, avenues <laughs> I'd want to take with that conversation. There's kind of two things that immediately come to mind. So one of the adages that they live by is it all started with a mouse, you know, and that's, that's to go back to like, the extent to which Mickey really set in motion the growth of the company that we have today. And that it was a mouse. It's not like we're talking an elephant, we're talking a mouse. They could have said it all started with an elephant and referred to Dumbo, but they don't. They mean the mouse. And so it was. It really favors the growth trajectory. But also Walt Disney once said, um, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing a bit here, but he said something to the extent of, we just create the pictures and we leave it to the professors to tell us what, it, what they mean. And I think that right there is a very huge testament to what what Disney's place in the zeitgeist is. So looking at them as myth makers, right? They they create as creators do. They're absorbing all the symbolic stuff and they're bringing it through their their voice of their platform. And this is what's in the air right now. This is what they what creators are picking up on because pre, the people who create art, the artists, all of them, they're tapped into something that's transcendental. They're not just like waking up one day and saying, I'm going to splatter paint all over a, a piece of canvas. It's there's something that's sparking them to make their to make their art. They create their art 
the, th- the the community responds. Like we are in a consumer society where we can respond with our bank accounts. And so if you're giving us a product we don't want, we're not going to buy it. You're giving us a product we do want, we're going to buy it. I think one of the things I would probably, you know, share with Iger is don't get cocky. Like just because you know people are going to buy it doesn't mean we're going to like it. So don't just like start green lighting random projects that sound like they're going to make money and then they don't. And this is, I think, a long-standing thing. You know, this isn't just a right now thing. This is a, hey, you know, you're going to be, you need to be aware of what your corporate responsibility is, who your base is. You need to deliver the products, the experiences that we want, or we're not going to keep, we're not going to keep funding them. I think they're very well aware of it. I think they're they're very tapped into it. Do they make some flops? Yes, they make some flops. Everybody does. Everyone makes mistakes. But I think that they're very aware of the the social impact that Disney has globally. And I think that's the other piece to the puzzle that we're not, you know, we're running out of time to be able to talk about, but it's it's their global presence. It's how, for instance, they they just recently what actually is probably closer to like five, six, seven years ago at this point opened a theme park in Shanghai. That's the third resort er experience that Disney has in Asian countries. They have Tokyo, they have Hong Kong, they have Shanghai. There's the one in Europe that had a very rough beginning. There's the American population. But what's happening in particular is there's a, Disney is paying attention to the power that China has. They're saying, okay, you know, rather than fight against you, we're going to fight with you. China makes a lot of the Disney products. They influence a lot of the decisions in Hollywood in general that get made around the sequels and the the epic series that um, are released. Just so, just so, that's just how the Chinese market consumes. And so they're like, all right, well, let's lean into this because their global footprint is so much bigger. Like I said, they play the long game. It's so much bigger than what's happening in Florida. It's like. May, you you got to stay aware of who your who the global audience is, and it's it's uh, so much bigger than just properties. It's just yeah. not about properties. It's oh. not about the 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 uh, the theme parks. It's just not all about that. It's about the the media that they put out, and hopefully somebody won't jump on that and say, "Well, yeah, they're starting to to pay attention to what China wants." Oh, China's taking over Disney, you know, because we're very big on saying China's taking over everything. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. You know, one of the things that I was I was ruminating on this not too long ago with a colleague of mine is it's it seems like China's taking over everything, but I think one of the big things ideological differences is that the United States is founded on principles of rugged individualism, whereas China is built more on a Confucian Taoist collectivism. And those are two ideologies that don't know how to reconcile. So when you know, we've, I think, think there is an entire movement, and there has been an entire movement for a long time in the United States of people who resonate with what that collectivism means, you know, what, what it means to like genuinely be part of a community, what it means to share resources, what it is to be, oh my God, communist. But but it is at odds with the individualism that folks like DeSantis and his base favor. And so it does sound like, you know, China's trying to take over the world and it's not. 
that China is trying to take over the world. It's that the world is realizing that it, we can't just function as individuals anymore. The world is smaller than it's ever been before. We're so hyper-connected through the internet that even in places where there is limited access to the internet, people are still finding ways to get the information. Like we are super duper hyper-connected. It's not tenable for the world to continue being this very isolated xenophobic perspective. And it's going to be probably the greatest detriment to the United States if they continue to think oh yeah, you know, we'll just close our borders and we'll pass bills where you can't say gay. You know, it's like, it's not that. That's out of your control at this point. The only way you're going to do it is to like completely decimate the infrastructure and the bigger global powers outside the United States are probably actually hoping that they, that's exactly what will happen. And so it's like, mm, those I think who have use a little bit of a microaggression, those who have common sense, <laughs> would rather not let that happen. Oh well, yeah, and I think the important thing to remember is that a a six year old girl in China and a six year old girl in the United States, when they view the movie Milan, they see the same thing. The language may be different, absolutely, but they still see. So in many ways, we are, as you say, totally connected. You're right. I mean, uh, the idea of Eastern ethics compared to Western ethics, a a topic that you and I have. Uh, mulled over many a few a time times, <laughs> many, many a times. Uh, it is, it is a, it is a, a difference of ideology that doesn't seem to be able to reconcile with each other. But in, in many ways, it's because we only see the differences of them and we don't see how they are really compatible in many ways. You're right. American rugged individualism, but that only goes so far. That was great in the seven, you know, in, in the 18th century. That was probably okay in the early 19th century, but we, whenever we've done our best, we've come together. Whenever we were the best we could be, we came together and it, you know, it's not communism because communism is actually an economic theory more than a social theory. Uh, same right. thing with socialism, which is actually mm -hmm. more an economic theory than a, than a political theory. The, the fact is, is that we're in a world today where you're right. There are some other world powers that are hoping that we will self-destruct and they're probably looking at this. And I was just reading the, the BBC and uh, some of the other uh, news agencies outside the United States, uh, the Canadians, they're almost laughing at us. And this argument between Disney and a governor of a state where Disney is such an important economic force within his state. What is he thinking? Is he talking just to the people in Alabama? I mean, that's really what they're asking. I mean, what is what is he right? thinking? Who's he talking to? I do have to wonder how much thinking he's actually doing because a lot of the maneuvering that I'm seeing. So DeSantis has the attention of the media, but a lot of the maneuvering he's doing, other states are doing, other governors are doing first. So he's like, oh, I liked what that governor did. I'm going to do it too. And I'm going to do it better. <laughs> and uh it's certainly i think it's it's certainly you know putting him in a light that i don't know is quite the light he needs to have if he has the political aspirations that he seems to have but i think one of the other pieces to it is i think the republican the gop needs to decide where it is they're going to lie on the spectrum of things so if they're going to stand behind extremism and 
very intentionally know and be conscious of the fact that as a collective, these extremists seek to bring down American democracy and all the things that they are saying they're afraid of will come to play. You know, essentially, <laughs> it's like, yes, you're afraid of it, but all the things you're saying are the problem is not the problem. You're not there. They need to wake up to what the real root cause of the problem is. And it's not education. It's not how somebody dresses and shows up to read stories to your kids. It's not that at all. I think until they can get underneath the hood of society and really tap into, this is what Reagan did well, really tap into what's happening. They really are just setting us up on a, a path of destruction. And we, we've talked about that before on on, on this podcast, that uh, politicians have a general fault. They always think short term. Can the Republicans win any election without that very small base that are the ye who not will not be named group? No, they definitely can't. Can they win with them? Probably not either. But they don't think long term. They need to to reject the path they fought that they've basically fallen into. They they rode the coattails as far as you're going to ride it. That's as far as it goes. And now they have to make a change in in their direction. Priscilla, it was always great talking to you. And thank you for this. We're going to have to have you back on again to talk about something that because I didn't I did not realize that uh, Mickey Mouse was actually a, a personification of Walt Disney. I didn't know that, but I did know about the Star <laughs> Trek thing. I did know about Star Trek. Yes, I did. I, you know, the first interracial kiss that I did know. Uh, but we're going to have you right. back. And it it's absolutely been a pleasure, well, Priscilla. Of course. And then, you know, we also still have to talk about making America great again and the Twilight Zone and Rod Serling's America. And eventually Ooh, we're going to have to talk about, I know, I know. And then we're Rod's eventually going to have to talk about the fact that Disney acquired Doctor Who. Yes, we have to talk about that. And But you mentioned Rod Serling. A f- uh, very interesting note. Rod Serling was a school teacher at the high school that I graduated from. That's awesome. Yeah. Yep. He, was he a he was teacher a, when you were a student? There? No, God, no. I, no I'm, oh, because that would have been amazing. I'm old. I'm just not quite that old. No. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, but yeah, he was he was an English teacher at Binghamton High School, where where I went to high school. So it's a very uh, interesting correlation. <laughs> Same thing with Johnny Hart. Johnny Hart is from the area who did BC, the Wizard of Id. He was from Endicott, which was the next town, not more than five miles away over. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of those uh, mythology things come out of there. We'll definitely have to have more conversations. So there you have our thoughts for this week. I would like to thank my friend and colleague, Dr. Priscilla Hobbs, for joining me in this very informative conversation regarding the future of Disney and the impact Disney has on the American and actually the world society today. There are two links in the description to two books by Dr. Hobbs, and we we encourage everyone to pick up a copy of those. There are absolute excellent read Walt's Utopia and Interpreting and Experiencing Disney Mediating the Mouse. Again, we'd like to thank Dr. Hobbs for joining us and we hope to have her back again soon. We'd like to thank our sponsors, the Phoenix Research Group, offering solutions to social issues through independent research, and our newest sponsor, BH Conflict Resolution Services, a mediation service available in Florida and the surrounding areas. 
We'd like to thank our podcast partners, Buzzsprout, who hosts the Nova Society, Apple iTunes, the largest source of music and podcast, where you can find the Nova Society podcast, and of course, PodKite, our analytical partners. We'd like to thank our listeners, as always, and remind you that if you wish to contact us, we can be reached at nova.society.podcast at gmail.com. You can send your questions, comments, and requests to be a guest on the Nova Society. Always remember that the power of society is knowledge. And for the Nova Society, I'm Dr. Mark Bound, and we hope to see you again next time.